Welcome to Style with Substance, a podcast by The Vendeur. I'm your host, Lucy Kebble. plus a few bonus episodes, we'll be talking about the myths and greenwashing that surround sustainable fashion. Join us for discussion with industry insiders, tips and generally geeking out on the glory that is ethical fashion. If you're only just joining us, don't forget to go back and check out the first episode where we talk all things recycling. And please subscribe and leave us a review. Not only do we love to hear what you think, but it helps other people find the podcast. This week, we're discussing the human element of fashion and the importance of preserving artisanal heritage. A popular but untrue view of the fashion industry is that a lot of the work, even complex, highly skilled work, is done by machines, or better yet, by highly skilled artisans that are paid well for their work. Unfortunately, this is not always the case. To delve a little deeper, we are so excited to be joined by Lorna Watson, founder of Stella. Lorna started out in fashion as a jewellery designer, but a few years ago, she decided to create something a little bit different. Stella is an accessories brand created exclusively in Bali by artisans. Lorna travels to East Bali frequently, forming lasting relationships with her suppliers and the people who create the accessories. Being given the space and safety to create, as well as a fair wage, means that the vital skills that these artisans have learned from elders and their community are not lost. But what is an artisan? Common Objective terms it as an independent craftspeople making products from start to finish, operating with small-scale factory units or across whole communities. The fashion industry is notorious for exploiting and appropriating cultural heritage and craft, recreating precious pieces in unfair working conditions and selling it on cheap for profit. It's not uncommon for brands to appropriate culturally beloved techniques to create a trendy throwaway piece that has little, if nothing, to do with the people that created it in the first place. The rise of fast fashion has also meant that these skills are less and less called upon. Cheap clothes discarded by Western communities flood the markets of Africa and South America, making their own traditional clothing obsolete. We cover this in more detail in episode one about recycling. We don't believe it is ethical for brands to appropriate time-held traditions to create cheap fashion without allowing the people who created them to benefit too. So we're always excited to hear of brands that seek to support, educate and work with communities to preserve their traditional techniques. Stella is one such brand. The emergence of these brands has arguably only been possible in the last few years thanks to millennials. A study of 1,300 millennial consumers found that 75% of them believed it was important for a company or brand to give something back to society instead of just seeking to make a profit. And we mention a few of these brands at the end of the show. Please show your support for the show by subscribing and leaving us a review. We recorded this interview in Stella's studio, so apologies if you hear the odd background noise throughout. Hi Lorna, thank you so much for joining us. It's really a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me, Lucy. It's a pleasure to join you and I'm looking forward to having a chat with you today. Great. So let's kick off by talking a little bit about you. You have quite an impressive background in fashion. Can you tell us a bit about where you started? 
Um, well, I I um, studied jewellery and silversmithing at art school in Edinburgh. So uh, I did a degree there and then went on to study a postgraduate and look at ways to... Um, uh, so really my postgraduate was focused on how to work with crafts skills in a design-led environment um, within the the luxury goods industry. So I, I worked within that arena for about 20 years and then um, I moved on into starting this new venture. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about that because it's a really interesting brand. Um, so Stella is created by artisans in Bali. Um, but you were mentioning that the, the project actually began with you wanting to weave jewellery can you tell us a bit more about that yes um so I've been visiting Bali for close to 15 years now on holiday mm. um and over the years I I noticed a really radical decline in just the presence of artisans in the local sort of streets and when I first started visiting Bali every street corner you would see uh you know a workshop with artisans stone carving or carving a huge piece of wood or making jewellery and really high level skills and over the years um, I noticed that they were they they virtually disappeared um, up to about three or four years ago it was actually very difficult to to find anyone wow, in certain recently. areas okay. yeah so um so I really wanted to understand what the main causes of that were one of them in Bali's specifically is because of the massive growth in tourism and hospitality which okay. has driven a lot of local communities um out of main tourist areas because of the costs um and um and so it, and also it it's meant that many artisans are mar- artisan artisanal skills have disappeared because they can they can um, earn more money doing something like driving a taxi, mm. um, which is, you know, long term, not the, the best opportunities um, for for earnings. And if something happens like the volcano erupts, um, the, the volcano erupts and tourism sort of falls off a cliff, then they don't have any work at mm. all. So so I wanted to understand that. I wanted to see what had where the artisans were that were still remaining in Bali. And I, I wanted to see how I could work with weaving skills that I've always been really fascinated by um, in Bali in particular and to see how we could maybe in, reinterpret them. And because of my background in jewellery, the obvious... Um, the obvious route was to start to make some things in metal and start to play around with some jewellery um, ideas. Uh, and and really, uh, after just maybe a couple of months I, of working with some ideas with a couple of jewellers that I found, um, I just I felt like we weren't really making anything significant that was going to make an impact within the communities, a big enough impact to create something new. Uh, to create something sustainable and also for me I think I had just maybe outgrown um, what I'd what I'd been doing in jewellery and I wanted to explore doing something bigger and start to look at other materials and that's how the bags began. Amazing 
such an interesting journey. <laughs> I bet you didn't think that you were gonna you were going to end up here, did you? <laughs> Not in the slightest. I certainly didn't expect to have a bag brand. However, you know, there's lots of similar techniques uh, applied to what we're doing. So that's also fascinating for me. A lot of the skills that are transferable um, across different categories so we we actually use a number of jewelry making skills in making the bags which is great well can you let's let's dive straight into the bags themselves because they're really beautiful woven sometimes leather but you also have um grass ranges now that are native to barley um but you were telling us that they you know a lot of people in barley just know how to weave because of you know day-to-day life they 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 have prayer baskets and their sleeping mats and the roofs that they sleep under so can you tell us a little bit more about about the techniques that they use yes so so weaving in particular um is is widespread in bali um balinese that's hindu religion based on a very unique um blend of hinduism um, the Balinese learn to weave from a very young age, actually, within their own household and within their own community. So with using natural grasses that are indigenous to the, the region that they grow up in, um, they learn to weave the prayer baskets that they use every day to offer blessings to their mm. gods. Um, they, as you've just said, they learn to weave the mats that they sleep on, the roofs that they sleep under. So every Balinese actually knows how to weave even at a basic level. And then many of them have gone on over the years um, to learn really high level weaving skills to weave um, utilitarian items within their communities, within their families that they use every day. Um, and those skills are passed down through generations and that that's where I saw the really big decline actually that mm. um, many of the skills are disappearing now because there's a there's a low perceived value within the communities um, so because the materials themselves especially the natural grass materials have locally have a very low perceived value because they take them for granted they're around them every day but also because they've been used to creating woven hand woven items out of natural grass that are traded locally for a very low um cost so um as tourism and hospitality and other influences from the west have come in that's driven certain salaries higher um you know, like like driving a taxi, you can earn more money driving a taxi than you can hand weaving something mm. that's uh, a generational a skill, yeah. which is really sad. Mm. And it's it's a subject very close to my heart because of my background yeah. in making. So you met with some artisans when you were there and, and you said that you, you spent a couple of years working on the concept for this. You, sorry, you were, how long did you live there for? Um, I was based there, so um, I moved there full time and I wasn't actually sure how long I would spend there um, initially because of the research that I wanted to um, you know I wanted to prepare to really understand um, at grassroots level what was causing the decline and to to try to really look at ways 
um, that was going to make a positive impact within Bali itself in the community, mm-hmm. not just about um, a business proposition for Stellar. Yeah. Um, so I was there for about a year and a half working, at, as I say, at a grassroots level. We had to spend, uh, when I say we, I had, I met, I had the pleasure of meeting a local woman who came from a jewellery background as well. Uh, local Balinese who was willing to work with me on some ideas and explore opportunities and she helped me to go out into East Bali and explore some of the more rural communities and see what was going on there and start to work with some artisans who were willing to try something new with me Mm. Um, and so I spent about a year and a half there working initially on the research and some of the early days of development and looking at how we would we could set up an operational system that would support that right okay yeah because you Obviously, they, they've woven grass for you, but you also work with leather. So let's talk a little bit about the leather aspect mm. of the collections. Um, I understand it's, it's a different technique for them to use, but, but their skills adapt to, you know, to what they're doing. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about where your leather comes from? Yes, so so the the reason I started to work with leather first and foremost was because of the perceived value of the grasses that we're working with originally. Um, and really for, for me to be able to, through the research that I uh, worked on, I identified that in order to keep the skills alive, we were going to have to be able to pay the artisans a living wage, a fair living wage. Mm. Um, so in order to do that, we needed to re- raise the perceived value of the skills and of the end product that they were creating. So the, the first um, the first methodology of that that I looked at was to bring in a material that had a higher perceived value to begin with. And um, I started to research locally sourced leather um, and I, I spent a lot of time considering whether, you know, we could work with vegan leathers. Um, we actually, you know, spent quite a lot of time looking at neighbouring areas that produce leathers um, and, and discovered a fantastic um, company based in Indonesia and in Java who work with organically farmed byproduct leather mm-hmm. and use very clean systems in filtration and tanning processes. Brilliant. Um, so I decided to move forward with that um, over vegan leathers, which are microplastic coated and don't biodegrade. And that's something very important to me is how it impacts the environment long term as well so that was a decision that was taken quite early on I mean it's something we continue to explore and consider and hopefully you know as we evolve we'll we'll move forward with some vegetable leathers and bio um, laboratory grown leathers but at this stage we are working with um, beautiful leather that's consciously um, produced within Indonesia Um, and so we trained we started to work with the artisans on using techniques that they had inherited but to re to upskill them and retrain them to work in a new material and that's that's how we started to create our leather range. Amazing and can then we talk a little bit more about the artisans themselves because you um, Stella have a unique 
way in which you've made the brand transparent for your consumers um, you include a unique id code on every product that someone buys can you tell us a little bit more about the unique code and and why you wanted to do that Yes. Um, well, I mean, the, the ethos of the business from the outset was about the skills and the people and the skills behind the, the product, the items, as much as the finished items themselves. So um, from the very outset, it, I wanted I wanted the business to be about transparency and visibility and um authenticity and um, bringing the stories of the artisans to the forefront of the business. So um, our, our, our ethos as a business is as much about making um, positive impact and driving positive impact as it is about driving profit margins. So mm-hmm. from the very outset, it was very important to me that each artisan was acknowledged for the, the skills and the work that they create. So the code on every bag, um, there's a little disc with a number, a unique number, and that number, when you tap that number into our website, you're immediately connected to the actual person who created your item. And it tells you a little bit about them and where they come from and how they originally learned to weave and what it means to them to be working with Stellar now in you know in a in a much more forward thinking capacity mm. and and a longer term sustainable vision for them within their community where they can still work from home they have the flexibility to suit their um, environment and other commitments that they have within their families and within their communities yeah and we're going to talk a bit about um about the workplace flexibility that you offer them but I also wanted to touch on um the fact that the the unique id code it allows the consumer to have a different relationship with their item of clothing they've not just bought a handbag you know they they've connected with with someone halfway across the world in some cases mm-hmm. um which is such a lovely thing because we're so we're so disconnected from the products that we buy now mm. and you know this was uh, a big part of this episode we wanted to talk about how there are humans you know human hands and feeling and history behind the things that we make um so i mean do you think that that's an important part of of what you're doing as well as trying to change consumer attitudes yes absolutely um i think you know first and foremost there's a there's the personal connection mm. there's there's emotion there um because there's a real person behind it i think one of the one of the um the circumstances that's that's happened for most of us over the last say 10 to 20 years is we've become accustomed to buying things that are mass manufactured uh and faceless there's no there's no connection i mean often we don't even know which part of the world it comes from let alone how it's been made uh and who's made it and under what conditions and circumstances so that's also something that's very important to me um that we are you know we're we're transparent about the people that we work with the conditions they work in that they're using skills that are um passed down through generations that we want to maintain you know that those skills are not are those skills are essential to them to keep them 
within their communities, which in turn also keeps the culture alive. And mm. um, what mass manufacturing has done over the years is it's diluted that um, and it's depleted it, which means that many of those skills are dying within rural communities. Um, and the artisans and the communities themselves are, are having to leave the regions that they belong or originate from and go and look for work in industrial areas in larger cities. So that mm. then um, that then negates the cultural aspect of, of where they come from as well. And, um, and I feel really strongly about that. So there are many, many reasons behind uh, the code and the work that we're doing and the transparency of the people that we work with. Hmm. Yeah. So let's get on to uh, working with the artisans. You have someone, uh, the lady that you mentioned previously, I think, mm-hmm. who, who works in Bali directly with them. Um, and we were talking about how how you pay your artisans Um, because I know that you feel very strongly about obviously paying people fairly but the way in which you pay them and incentivize them so Mm -hmm. can you can you talk a little bit more about why you decided to 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 do what you've done um yes I mean this this was one of the areas that took most of of the time in the early stages of building the business and the operational side of it um because I really wanted to make sure that we pay the artisans a living wage that allows them to thrive and not just survive. Um, and it's it's quite a complex uh, it's it's a complex subject because you have to look at you have to really consider. Uh, the environment that people are living and working within and not just the people that are working directly for Stellar but how they live in commune Mm. with other people within their community and you have to pay them in a way that doesn't cause any segregation or separation so I spent a lot of time with Komang who's our operations manager local Balinese women Uh, We spent a lot of time on this um, and we worked um, on an, we we based our findings on an anthropological study within Bali. um, And basically what we do is we pay, we pay each artisan, we have a, sorry, we have a contract with each artisan to begin with, a unique contract per person that um, is a commitment on both sides for them to have a minimum amount of days per month. Mm. And that's up to them. They can choose that. So they have the flexibility of how little or how much they want to work per month. Um, And then we pay them on a per piece basis. They get paid in cash um, on delivery of each item and we pay them per piece. So it's up to them. Uh, when they want to work for how long they want to work per day they have the flexibility to do that within the other commitments that they have with their families and their communities Um, but we we have a minimum commitment per month which allows them um, to plan their finances properly um, and for us to plan our production as well. Mm. You also mentioned uh, incentives outside of 
cash. Yes. What are those? Well, in Bali in particular, um, they're they're not cash motivated. They want to. Um, they're not money motivated um, in the way that other cultures are. And so we we actually put this pro- proposition to the communities, each community that we work with, um, and they they asked that we pay them um, the agreed amount that we pay them per piece, um, which is is approximately two point five to three times the the minimum wage mm-hmm. within their communities. And then um, we ins- we also pay for the um, other things like their school- their kids' school shoes and school school bags, mm-hmm. which are difficult to um, they're difficult to purchase in rural areas in particular. Yeah, I can imagine. And then we also offer other incentives like training. Um, we teach them how to manage finances. Uh, we are now working on teaching them design and product development and longer term we want to introduce marketing training as well so amazing um the intention is to really encourage them to become um self-sufficient and long longer term sustainable within their own communities Mm. yeah that sounds really interesting you've taken a lot of time to to yes. really put something <laughs> sustainable in place yeah yeah well the you know the the whole business has been built on the pillars of um sustainable practices and you know we've still got a long way to go but from the very outset that was the intention so um you know it every decision that we've made has been considered and mm-hmm. has included them in the decisions that we've made so their input's been very important to the decisions that we've made as a business as well Amazing. And can you talk a little bit more about the positive impacts that Stella are trying to um, trying to implement? Yes. Um, I mean, I think overall we're we um, we're part of a new generation of social entrepreneurs, really, that are focused on driving positive change. So um, it's, you know, that encompasses a number of different areas of our business or every area of our business. So it's it's not just about the people that we work with. It's the decisions we make on um, what materials we procure, how we procure them. Everything that we work with at the moment is locally sourced within Bali or and or local uh, surrounding areas of Indonesia, which minimizes our transportation requirements and our impact on uh, our carbon footprint, our impact on the environment, how uh, the handmade skills mean that we don't um, pollute the environment with industrial um, processes. Um, and just generally, um, you know, how we work with the communities in terms of flexibility of working hours and, and people being able to work, stay within their communities to work locally. So overall, it covers many, many different areas of the business. And I think that's, that's fundamental to how we started the business and how we mean to go on. So let's just end by talking a little bit more about the product. For anyone who doesn't know Stella, you I'm actually sitting in your really beautiful studio and you've got some lovely bags sat around. Um, can you just maybe sort of pick out a few pieces and, and tell our listeners what we might be looking at? 
preferably yes. something new that we can, uh, you know, we'll be seeing soon. Okay, uh, so we have the basket bag range, um, and our existing bag range works with a natural, um, so a natural sourced grass called atta. And uh, so our our best selling item in this range is our barrel bag, but mm-hmm. we've we have a new barrel bag coming out that's also working with um, a raffia, a grass raffia, uh, and the atta, and some bamboo local locally carved bamboo handles. Uh, we've also started to work with a beautiful woven bamboo technique with a new community. Um, and that's that has more flexibility in in the structure of the bags as well. So we're going to we'll be launching those um, later on this summer. And then we have a new leather range that's coming out that's using um, a combination of two different weaving techniques. OK. Oh, yes. Yeah, I see that one. Yeah, it looks really beautiful. Mm. That one. Well, thank you so much, Lorna. It's been really great to visit your studio and to see the beautiful collection and to speak to you about the brand and and how you have been working so thank you thanks so much lucy it's a pleasure to have you and really super to have this opportunity to chat with you this episode is not sponsored so we wanted to shout out to other great sustainable living podcasts agnes london is a sustainable lifestyle brand selling handmade goods that are designed to reduce packaging waste the podcast is hosted by the brand's founder, Sophie, and focuses on sustainability and well-being. Sophie interviews people she has met on her journey to starting a sustainable business, such as fellow sustainable business owners, activists and experts to share their stories. We're including a link to the podcast in the show notes. We couldn't leave the conversation there without sharing a few other accessories brands that support artisans in a variety of different ways. Beja, the sneaker company, popular fashionistas the world over, works with a network of rubber tappers in the Amazon rainforest, allowing them to collect the rubber for the soles of the trainers sustainably. Satplay are a UK-based brand who produce sandals. Their styles are modelled on the traditional Pakistani chapelle. They are designed in the UK and crafted in Peshawar by artisans. Green Pasha hats are handcrafted by communities in Ecuador using their native tequila palm leaves. And finally, Pippa Small supports Turquoise Mountain, an initiative which works with communities in Myanmar and Afghanistan. She designs collections in collaboration with the craftspeople who make the pieces, often in highly dangerous and stressful situations. Thank you for joining us for episode two. What did you think? We would love to know so that we can make the next series of Style With Substance even better. We would be grateful if you could take a few moments to rate, review and subscribe to our podcast so that more people can find us. See you next week for more sustainable myth busting.